0: Media OBOS Media presents Nation State of Play. Welcome to the Nation State of Play podcast. I'm your host, Brian Miller. On each episode, we explore the political stories that are driving public policy in California. We explore these stories with political insiders, business leaders, journalists, and policymakers themselves to get below the surface of the headlines and show you the true forces shaping our nation state. Well, thanks for listening today. We have a great guest, Shannon Olivier Hovis, who runs NARAL here in California. And, you know, I I wish we didn't have to have Shannon on the show to talk about where we are with the pro-choice movement at this really dark moment in history. But here we are, and Shannon's really on the front lines of this. And um, I think some listeners might think, well, this doesn't really impact California. We're a pro-choice state. We're going to remain a pro-choice state. Um, we certainly are approached state, but there's a lot of impacts in California and a lot of things that we need to do legally to enshrine those protections, but also to expand some protections. There's some real weaknesses, even within California law, that we talk about on this episode and some bills that are going to uh, live or die over the next few weeks in Sacramento. So it's a really urgent issue, really um, urgent timing to be talking about exactly this. And i um, really honored to have Shannon on the show, who's leading these fights every day. So uh, stay with us, Shannon Olivier-Hobos with Rao coming up right after this. American democracy is good, but we can make it better. The National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers includes organizations across the country who are working right now to build a better democracy by opening primaries, implementing safe, secure voting systems, reducing corruption, and increasing transparency. Listen to our weekly podcast, How to Win Friends and Save the Republic, to hear updates from the latest movements in the democracy reform space. Subscribe and learn more about us at nonpartisanreformers.org. Welcome back to the Nation State of Play podcast. Well, Shannon, thanks so much for being on the show today. It's a pleasure to have you.
1: Thank you for having me. I, I wish
0: we were speaking to you under different circumstances. It was obviously an extremely dark time in American politics, but um, and- and particularly on the issue that you focus on. So, so let me start off with a really basic high level question How did we get here, in your opinion?
1: Well, the simple answer is Donald Trump. Um, The reality is that the anti-choice super minority in this country has been fighting for this since Roe v. Wade became the law of the land. But they didn't have, you know, they didn't have a lot of mainstream audience until they found that champion in Donald Trump. And he gave them the crown jewel, which was a 6-3 anti-choice majority on the Supreme Court. We would not be here without that. And we should remember, right, that He got that 6-3 anti-choice majority by holding hostage, right? We saw them hold hostage uh, Merrick Garland's position, Mitch McConnell doing that previously. And so they were able to get this in a really um, insidious way as they do many things. And that is the short way that we are here. They found their mainstream champion. They knew that the anti-choice Supreme court was a litmus test for these nominees to overturn Roe. And so That's that's the long and short story of how we're here. Um, We knew when the Supreme Court allowed SB8, the extreme six week abortion ban in Texas to go into effect a year ago, that they were poised to overturn Roe. Even before that, when they took up Mississippi's 15 week abortion ban in the first place, we knew that they were signaling to us that they were willing to reconsider the Roe standard because any abortion ban pre-viability was on its face unconstitutional. And so we found ourselves in this position, but at a minimum, um, we've really known that this was coming for a while now. The writing's been on the wall.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I want to un, unpack the history of this just a little bit, because I, I think one of the things I've been guilty of in the past, and I think all, uh, some of us on the left um, have also said is, you know, we've kind of looked back at the Bush days during the Trump administration with this nostalgia for like, oh, I was sort of a moderate and like, you know, those are the days of like reasonable Republicans. But, but you know, as I was reading the opinion, um, which, which is long, and I, and I encourage everybody to actually like read through it and to read through the dissents. One of the things that I just decided I was going to stop doing is giving George Bush any benefit of doubt, because it wasn't just Trump, right? I mean, Alito was appointed by Bush, and he passed the same litmus test. And these, as you point out, these folks were all put there for a reason. Um, but this, but this was really um, a litmus test that has existed in Republican circles for decades, right? I mean, this goes well well before Trump. He just he just had the ultimate votes. To do what they wanted to do for a long time. Is that fair?
1: I think there are a few pieces there. One, you say that this goes back decades and it does, but it really started with Ronald Reagan. He became the first sort of anti-choice dream president of the anti-choice mechanism and and machine. But we have to remember that Ronald Reagan is also the governor, former governor of California, Mm -hmm. who passed liberalizing, you know, abortion laws here in the state. He um, was, was responsible Responsible in 1969, before Roe became the law of the land, for helping to ensure that people were ac- able to access uh, some measure of abortion care in the state of California. So we have to remember that this didn't, this has not historically been a partisan issue. We saw in Kansas recently that it is still in many ways not a partisan issue, even though those at the helm of the Republican Party have tried to make this a wedge issue. And it's really interesting the history of this. I won't get too much into it, but essentially the the, um, the background, when we look at actually how they decided to use abortion, it was because what they were using previously as the primary wedge, wedge issue was school segregation. School segregation started to fall out of favor, right? People wanted to see school desegregate, schools desegregate, and they needed a new wedge issue. And somebody came up with, well, why don't we use abortion, this can be the next one. And we're talking about the Jerry Falwell days and all of these kinds of things. And our former president did a really, I mean, she wrote a book about it, The Lie that Binds. She made a podcast about it. Same title, The Lie that Binds. I highly recommend listening to that podcast. It is super interesting about the history here. But we have to remember that they decided, you know, and this became what it has become for the Republican Party out of, you um, an intentional, strategic, and manipulative decision, but it is never where the people have been. And even though we saw Ronald Reagan sort of switch sides on this, he became, you know, he became one of their, you know, golden boys as the president, uh, championing anti-choice issues. And certainly, we saw that with with George W. Bush too. But again, the American people have never been there, and they didn't. And the Supreme Court has never been there. So they weren't able to get that until Donald Trump came into office.
0: Well said. So reading the opinion, my reaction was, it's actually much worse than I even thought it was. Um, and I, and I want to dig into a couple of the things that stood out for me and then specifically ask you about like California's role in this. I, I think the, the thing that I didn't gather from the initial press over the first few days was just how ambiguous the court was really being about whether states could restrict interstate travel to procure an abortion and you know um kavanaugh tried to write a concurrence basically saying oh we wouldn't restrict that at all he's apparently the only one of the crazies willing to sign that which which i found additionally alarming Um, And and then I found, as I think the dissent really pointed out, well, just this absurdity and this idea that this decision was going to end all the debate and and Roe had not worked in in ending all of these debates and decisions, because now we're just going to have a whole series of cases and debates about what one state can do with respect to other states in terms of interstate travel. Um, is, Is that the way you see it or am I being too alarmist there?
1: Well, it's super interesting because actually, um, what we know is that before, even before Roe fell, uh, one in 10 people, I believe it is, I'll have to confirm that one in 10 people were traveling across state lines to get abortion care already before Roe, before the fall of Roe. And that's because of course, what we have seen over the last couple of decades is even though states have not been able to ban abortion outright, they certainly have been able to take tremendous, I mean, outrageous steps to whittle away access to abortion care, right? To where we had a handful of states with Rose still standing that had only a single abortion clinic. If that's not an undue burden on somebody's ability to access abortion care, I truly don't know what is. So, I mean, I think that there is certainly the legal landscape here is something that we're concerned about. And we continue to do everything we can in California to ensure that people accessing care here and providers providing care here and anyone helping them access that is protected legally in the state of California. And it's going to be an ongoing question. But I do think it's worth pointing out what I said at the outset, which is people have already been traveling across state lines uh, for a very long time to actually get access to the care they need. You think about a state like Missouri. Missourians have been going to Illinois for years, if not decades, to access abortion care.
0: Um, you got a big package of things you're working on in Sacramento to you know, it, it, not just in response to this, but trying to do what you can to protect the right of at least out-of-state uh, people to come here. In addition to a whole host of other issues, but let's start at the top. So, Prop One um, is a California um, constitutional measure to essentially put the right, the choice rights, in the California Constitution. Um, can you tell me why it's necessary to actually? do this by a ballot measure now?
1: Absolutely. So, you know, we can't rest on our laurels here, I think is the overall message that the governor is sending as is the pro tem, and so are we. You know, we have our California state constitution, currently the protection of access to abortion care is embedded within the same right to privacy and that was determined by our California Supreme Court. So, again, similar to a U.S. Supreme Court, if the composition of the California Supreme Court changes, you could see something like that overruled. And we would hope that wouldn't happen, but we don't want to take any chances. And we do have strong legal protections in our state laws. But again, that's also subject to who is in our state legislature. And we sometimes I think we have a short memory, right, because we think of California as being Blue, 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 but it wasn't that long ago that it wasn't blue, blue, blue. Uh, and so we have to keep those things in mind when we are looking at, at really people's fundamental freedoms and protections. So this ballot measure just takes no chances. It ensures that we have the specific right to abortion and contraception, uh, to, to access them, to choose to not access them, right? This is about reproductive freedom, fundamental freedom to make these choices. Uh, personally. And so this enshrines that in our state constitution explicitly, specifically, no question whatsoever. And that's why it's important. But Prop
0: 1 um, doesn't expand any existing rights per se. I totally completely hear you about the need for, for making sure that a future Supreme Court, California Supreme Court can change that. But But just so voters understand who may be listening, it, it correct me if I'm like, doesn't the, the prop by itself doesn't change anything about the current state of California law. Is that fair?
1: That's fair. Yeah, it's just a very I mean, if you read the language, right, it is super simple. It is enshrining the right to abortion and contraception in the state constitution.
0: So then let's talk about the things that that actually will change the law as it exists now. And I'm not at all discounting the, the importance of prep one. And I certainly agree with you that about the history of California, we've had numerous authors on talking, talking about that. And, and yes, um, you know, California politics is being seen as a um, sort of true blue state. It really is a relatively recent phenomenon in a lot of ways. So we may not, we may not get to all of them, but let's, but let's talk about your highest priority. One's are the ones that you want people in Sacramento to know the most about. So so what what is on your agenda for these next few weeks here?
1: Yeah, so uh, NARAL, we are a steering committee member and founding committee member of the California Future Abortion Council, right? And this whole bill package is backed by that council. Um, We are specifically a sponsor as well on a couple of these bills, even though at the end of the day, we fully the full package is our responsibility and that's how we feel about it. So I'll flag a couple of the bills we're sponsoring. Uh, AB 2223 is a bill that is, it's authored by Assemblymember Buffy Wicks, and it ensures that no one in California will be investigated, prosecuted, or incarcerated for either experiencing a pregnancy loss or ending a pregnancy. And to be totally honest with you, I wish that we didn't have to run this bill because it is a horrifying prospect to me, the notion that people are being criminalized or at risk of being criminalized for pregnancy outcomes. But that is the reality of the country that we live in right now. And we know that in the last two decades, at least 1,300 people have been criminally prosecuted for experiencing a miscarriage, a stillbirth, or for self-managing their abortion, taking medication, abortion, that type of thing. And that's a really horrifying landscape, Uh, and that is probably, and we are seeing those numbers increase right now with Roe having fallen, um, a significant undercount. And unfortunately, California is no exception. We've had a couple of women recently uh, who have been prosecuted for stillbirths, one who spent four years uh, in, in jail for that, and it's unconscionable. So that is a bill that is a priority for us, making sure that that is not on the table in this state. We do not punish or criminalize uh, pregnancy outcomes. It's outrageous. So that's
0: so, so. let me ask you about some of those California examples. Is that a specific rogue DA in some county? Is that, you know, what, what law in California were they prosecuting on? Can you tell us any more about those examples?
1: Yeah, so there is no law in California that permits these kinds of prosecutions. So they're doing it in spite of legal protections and um, and misapplying other laws. And even the Attorney General, um, Attorney General Rob Bonta put out a law enforcement bulletin saying these this law, especially Penal Code Section 18, 187, should never be applied to a pregnant person themselves. Um, And in this case, with the two women out of Kings County, it was a rogue DA. But we've also seen other instances um, where there have been investigations, even arrests for people using uh, medication abortion, administering that themselves. And there are a lot of reasons that somebody might choose to self-manage an abortion, including the fact that in the state of California, even, we have some significant access deserts. People sometimes have to travel. I mean, up to 180 miles even in the state of California to access the nearest clinic. And we have huge swaths of the eastern part of the state where there is really minimal access. So, and that's just one reason people might choose to self-manage an abortion. Getting an abortion, obtaining abortion care, having an abortion in California is legal. uh, And we need to make clear that 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 cannot be done in the state of California either. So it's really... um, we want to be, make sure that, regardless of where somebody is, they have access to the care that they need. And I'll I'll put uh I'll I'll make one other comment on this, which is there is a reason that ACOG and that the Cal, that the American Medical Association um, oppose any criminalization of of pregnancy outcomes, and it's because when you pre when you criminalize pregnancy you put people at risk for a whole variety of things, but including the fact that they are then scared to seek out the medical care that they need for fear of investigation, arrest, some kind of criminalization. Um, It's a really scary kind of path to go down, period. And so are in the interest of public health, right? We have to ensure that people, no matter what is going on, that they can get the help that they need. If somebody experiences a stillbirth at home, not only are they facing the trauma of that, but then not being able, fearing that they can't call the hospital to get the help that they need. I just, it makes, it honestly gives me so much stress. It makes me want to cry. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's just it's just you crazy outcome. Not the kind of thing you expect to happen in California. And um, it's it's great that you're um, you're you're pushing this. Is that something you expect to pass? What are what are the what, what are the prospects for this bill right
1: now? Uh, we are hopeful that the bill will pass. Many of our bills are sitting on the appropriation suspense files in both houses today. So today, we will be,
0: yeah, big, we will be watching to have you on the closely show, yeah.
1: Yeah. to ensure that that bill and and the others make it off of the suspense file.
0: Great. So let's let's talk about some of the other bills. Uh, can you tell me about 1242 uh, this one caught my attention. This it seems it seems really important because of these interstate interstate issues, I should say.
1: So this is authored by assembly member Rebecca Barr-Cahan. And this specifically is looking to protect California providers and patients from law enforcement any kind of law enforcement actions that stem from investigations based on providing or accessing abortion that is legally allowed under California law. So this is really looking at ensuring that anybody who comes here from out of state in need of accessing care, any provider here that helps them access that care, that California will not be participating in um, and, and helping with law enforcement investigations coming from other states based on hostile laws in those other states. So it is making clear that we are not cooperating with those kinds of investigations. Abortion is legal here. People have the right to access it here. And certainly our abortion providers have the right to provide it to anybody that needs it without any fear of being tied up uh, with criminal liability.
0: So this strikes me as practically quite important, actually, given um, what I was talking about, about the a, um, ambiguity of the, of the Supreme court decision, right? Cause, cause this is something I can really see coming to a head at any given time. Now you, you use that example of, you know, rogue DA is looking to prosecute things. And so, you know, let's so just take, take the example. Um, someone comes here from an anti-choice state has the abortion. Maybe they go to a red County in California. Yes, we do have red counties in California with, with you know, say a very conservative DA and the other state begins prosecution or investigation issues, a subpoena or some other type of legal process, and that California DA wants to turn over information about that. And under existing law, I don't think it's clear that they'd be prohibited from doing that, right? I mean, this this, this strikes me as actually pretty important in the landscape of where we are.
1: Right. Under this bill, uh, it would prohibit California law enforcement from carrying out arrests based on on these hostile laws from other states, so that's right. It would, um, it would curtail any of those kinds of, of rogue actions that we might see, um, and and that builds on other protections that we're looking at too, right? Which is things like, um, uh, AB sixteen sixty six, which was actually just recently signed into law by the governor. And this protects patients and providers from civil liability judgments when they're providing um, or accessing reproductive health care in California. So we are looking across the board, how do we protect against civil as well as criminal liability? How do we ensure that California is not cooperating, that we're not participating uh, in any of these kinds of investigations of people accessing care here or providing it? And including, I should say, because one of the things we've seen targeted is people helping. Right, people helping others access care, friends, family members. Um, so making sure that we are also providing adequate protections for those folks. I think that it's important. You know, one of the things that we're working on is ensuring. So we've got the legal protections front, right? That's obviously very important, making sure uh, that abortion patients, providers, supporting organizations, and individuals are protected when people access abortion care. Here, um, we have a lot of other pieces, right? Which is One is addressing cost barriers and stabilizing our provider network. So a couple of bills do that. SB 1142 specifically creates a fund for organizations that provide some of the practical and logistical support, the transportation needs, the childcare needs, um, helping to coordinate with the clinics. How are they, you know, how are we actually ensuring that people can get from point A to point B and access the care that they need here? One of the things that is, is worth noting is, in a way, we have been prepared for this moment for a long time, because not only do organizations like NARAL exist, which are national, and so we work you know, in states all across this country, but we also have networks like the network National Network of Abortion Funds, which exist, there are about 90 of them across the entire country, and they traditionally have helped people access abortion care in their own state, but now the landscape has changed. And so their primary function in some right in states where abortion has been banned and is out of reach is to coordinate with states like ours and abortion funds in our states. We have one single statewide abortion fund. We also have several other independent clinics who um, run essentially their own abortion funds to help people and support people in getting the care that they need. Well, now that coordination is essential right? How do we ensure that the people can actually get here? Uh, And we need to provide and ensure that there is um, adequate support to do that. Ensuring that we have a stabilized provider network. Frankly, California, I mentioned access deserts, we have provider shortages. We have a handful of counties that don't have an OBGYN. We have the ability, legal ability of advanced practitioners like nurse practitioners and physician's assistants and certified nurse midwives We have the legal infrastructure for them to provide abortion care, but we don't always have the necessary training opportunities. We don't always have enough clinic opportunities where they can actually practice uh, and provide that care. And we need to ensure, so so what are we doing to open up those doors? And those are a couple of the bills we're working on this year. SB 1375 is a really important one for nurse practitioners to be able to provide first trimester abortion care independently. assuming that they meet the necessary criteria to do so, right? Um, and AB 1918 is critical. It a, creates a reproductive scholarship core. And that ensures that, again, we're filling this pipeline. Uh, and then the last one I'll mention is AB 2134, which is uh, provides reimbursement to abortion providers who are providing low and no cost abortion care to people with low incomes who are uninsured or underinsured, which is essential because we want our abortion providers to be incentivized to continue to stay in the network. But if they are unable, right, if they're providing, which thank goodness they are providing care at low or no cost to patients, they need to be reimbursed for that. So we are doing that, that bill ensures that that is in place. Um, you know, and one of the things that is really incredible, and we're so grateful to our legislative leadership and the governor for this, is we were able to put an astonishing uh, over two hundred million dollars through this year's budget into a lot of these efforts to ensure that they can be realized, right? it's It's not enough to put a program on paper. We actually have to put the resources there to ensure it's it can be provided. So I'm
0: glad you brought up these scope of practice issues. We, we've covered this in the past in the show in different contexts. At the beginning of COVID, this was a really controversial issue with sort of what nurse practitioners were allowed to do and what they could. And, and at the time, as we sort of dug into the politics on the show, um, it was really the California Medical Association fighting scope of practice issues for nurse practitioners and midwives and other providers. Is that the case on, on your bill? Or are they opposing this, this stuff?
1: So, the California Medical Association has been, uh, they're part of the California Future Abortion Council and um, have been supportive of the overall bill package. And as it relates to uh, first trimester abortion care and nurse practitioners being able to provide that independently, they've been supportive of that uh, policy change in particular. So, it is true, we don't, you know, as a general rule, it is not our position or place to wade into, um, you know, scope of practice sort of. battles. But in this case it, it they've been crystal clear that they are supportive of the policy change to ensure that we are we've adequate providers across the board. And like I said, you know, I mean this bill, the bill to allow nurse practitioners to provide first trimester abortion care, that was passed back in 2013. So now we just have to actually realize the potential of that law and this is one of the mechanisms to do that.
0: Beyond government actors here are there other maybe NGOs or just community organizations who you think can have a big impact on where we are in this debate right now?
1: Well, one of the things I actually would love uh, for folks to be aware of in California too, uh, is that back in 2019, we actually passed a law to require that medication abortion be provided at all California uh, public universities, the UC and CSU. And, uh both institutions just recently came out to announce that as of January 1 they expect all UC and CSU campuses to pre- to be providing medication abortion on campus. So that again as we're looking at how we continue to expand access here uh, and ensure that it is practicably right accessible to folks where they live in their environments, that they do not have to face a ton of barriers to accessing care. This is a big step for our young people in particular. Uh, and ensures that they're not struggling and having to navigate what can be very confusing, daunting, uh, you know, the healthcare systems outside of their outside of their universities.
0: Any other bills you want to flag? Um, Again, I know you you got a big package. Um, All this stuff's tremendously important, Um, but uh, anything in particular that you feel like maybe hasn't gotten the attention um, that it deserves so far?
1: I think the last thing that I would just mention as sort of an overall bucket is that, you know, California, we also continue to look at how we address, continue to, to address misinformation and disinformation and what we're doing to ensure that people have access to medically accurate, culturally relevant and um, you know, and inclusive education about abortion and reproductive health care more broadly. And we're also doing some work to really unpack the persistent barriers that exist, especially for our most marginalized communities in California, because access is not universal. It's not it's not equal. And that's not just geographically. it's also, you know, for monolingual immigrant communities, um, certainly for black indigenous and other, um, we need to understand, you know, for immigrant populations, for, um, LGBTQ folks, for, for black indigenous and other people of color, we need to better understand. Them. And so some of our bill package also really looks at that. California obviously has an outsized role to play for the country in this moment, uh, but we also need to make sure that we are doing all of the work here at home to ensure that people across the board can access um, can access high quality comprehensive care. And even in a state like California, we have um, an extraordinary number of crisis pregnancy centers, what we call fake clinics. They actually outnumber clinics that provide abortion care in yes. the state of California. So we need to be doing more to ensure that people both in-state and coming from out of state are not unwittingly stumbling into these places where they might be traumatized with a lot of disinformation um, and and coercion, frankly, about their, and and make it very difficult for them to make true reproductive choices for themselves.
0: Yeah, I see these billboards on the side of the road when you're driving through the Central Valley. It's just alarming stuff. Is, Is there legislation that would specifically address... That or or how are how are you tackling that
1: issue? Yeah, one of our bills, AB twenty five uh, eighty six, is specifically geared toward that, um, and and that creates a working group to do some of this additional investigation, um, specifically around efforts to collect data and conduct research, uh, make sure that we are are accounting for these these truly in in. Institutional barriers to care and disproportionate barriers for for certain people in the state.
0: Great. I'm glad to hear that, too. So so let me sort of wrap by asking you about the politics, um, you know, as, as you pointed out, like we, we have the super majorities, uh, Democratic legislature legislature, got a very progressive governor on and these topics. I think everyone would, would certainly allow for that statement who's your opposition in Sacramento what 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 is what's the obstacle to getting all of these things passed is it just inertia or are you facing any any true organized opposition for the priorities that you're pushing this session
1: so i think it's important for us to remember that um, you know the the anti-choice forces that are emboldened all across the country are emboldened here in California too and um, some of the risks that they pose are not just risks to, um, you know, upending or derailing the policy changes we're trying to make. We have such strong champions and Governor Newsom and the pro tem. I mean, the pro tem used to run a women's clinic. Um, you know, we've, we have incredible leadership in the legislative women's caucus. We are so blessed and grateful for, for the leadership that they bring. Um, but there are other challenges that, that do come with some of these this emboldened uh, spirit of things, which is, you know, safety. I mean, frankly, safety, patient safety. Even in California, we have, um, you know, sometimes really hostile environments outside of clinics. We have to protect people (laughs) accessing care in every way ensure that they can access care safely. Um, There were a couple of bill hearings early on in the year that did not feel super safe, even for some of our legislators who you know, assembly member Wicks will talk about this. She and some others received death, death, death threats. <laughs> I can't say that word. Um, it's just horrifying for championing reproductive freedom. So we, those are concerns and they're real concerns, right? We need to make sure that, that people are safe in this state. And, um, no matter, you know, if people do have a difference of opinion becoming violent in any fashion with that difference of opinion is obviously just it should never be on the table.
0: And then it strikes me that the other big political role that we can have an impact on in California is, is we have more competitive congressional races than anywhere in the country. And it's mostly this, this cluster in, in Southern California. Um, there's really nowhere in the country where there's more contiguous, competitive congressional races. Um, are, are you, uh, you know, it, it may be a little beyond the scope of what you focus on every day, but, I, but I'm curious as, as to your take on how uh, Dobbs is going to impact those races and what you see the role of Californians in, at least in um, helping preserve, hopefully, the the, majority, the the very narrow majority in the House.
1: Yeah, not at all. It's actually very squarely within our scope. Great. So um, NAREL really is the political arm of the reproductive freedom movement. Um, We have 4 million members nationally. We have uh, more than 370,000 members here in the state of California. And so we are grassroots organizing and we mobilize our members to ensure that we are electing the right people to office, champions for reproductive freedom, so that we can pass these kinds of policies like in California to truly protect and uphold people's reproductive freedoms. Uh, So we will be very highly involved in the congressional races in the state um, in particular, working to protect Katie Porter, Mike Levin, Josh Harder, folks like that. Um, there are several flip opportunities in the state of California that I anticipate we will be working on. Um, and we are also seeing already, right, Kansas. People talked about Kansas like that ballot initiative was surprising, like the outcome that was surprising. But the reality is that that just reaffirmed what we already know, which is eight in 10 Americans support the legal right to abortion and that this is truly a galvanizing issue for folks all across the country. We're seeing that in polling um, by significant margins that people are very mobilized by this, um, and especially in a lot of swing states. And so California, as I mentioned, you know, obviously I'm the director for NARAL in California, but we are a national organization and we are looking all across this country. We have incredible opportunities in states like Arizona, and Arizona is really important for California. Sure. Uh, One of the things I will I'll note is when we look at out-of-state patients, and of course, it is hard. We've made these estimates of sorts of who will be coming to California to access care, and there are different measures for that. Proximity is, of course, one of them. In Arizona... Uh, could be a place where we see, and we currently are seeing already a significant increase coming over into sort of the San Diego and Imperial counties, regions of the state from Arizona and and elsewhere, Texas, et cetera. Um, But we have an opportunity to really flip the ballgame in Arizona because the anti-choice majority there in their state legislature, they're holding on by a razor thin margin. We can flip just a couple of seats in Arizona and there's an open governor's race. So we can actually completely rework that electoral landscape in Arizona so that they do not in the future have an abortion ban in place. And people are actually able to access abortion care in their home state, freeing up what we would see um, as a significant influx. The Guttmacher Institute, to get into into the weeds on that point, they estimated that California could see an increase of nearly 3,000% in out-of-state patients accessing care here. Well, of that, so it's about 1.4 million who would see their nearest abortion clinic uh, in California from out-of-state with Roe falling. 1.3 million of those folks are Arizonans. So if you t- if you actually change yeah. the political landscape in Arizona, you fundamentally change what Calif- the role that California needs to play for Arizona. So this is not, we don't, we can't look at California in an isolated fashion. We have to see that California must do everything that we can to be a reproductive freedom state, provide care to anybody who needs it. We need to bring along as many states as we can with us, like Oregon and Washington and Colorado and Illinois and New York, right? All, all across the country so we have these these safe places all across the country then we need to do the work of flipping these states and we have some real opportunities to do that um and then the last point i'll make is you know we're looking really carefully and not just the um the house of representatives and holding our majority there but also at increasing our majority in the US Senate and there are some fundamental things that we need to do there we have some really important protect seats uh, Senator Cortez Masto in Nevada, right next door, Senator Markelli in Arizona, uh, Senator Warnock in Georgia, right? Those are those are critically important. And we also have some flip opportunities. And if we can gain ground in the Senate, we actually would have an opportunity to pass federal legislation, the Women's Health Protection Act, to enshrine a federal protection to abortion across this country. President Biden has already said he would sign that, and he and the vice president have been championing those efforts to get that passed in Congress. So we can't give up on how California, our people power, um, our our reputation, right, our economic power, we hold an immense power as a state. And we can lead in a way where we also help the rest of this country get back on track for reproductive freedom. Is
0: that, would, would federal legislation be a 60 vote play in the senators? Is this something you could see a path to doing through reconciliation or way removing the filibuster or something along those lines. Are, are we talking about picking up a few more seats? In other words, or are we talking about picking up 10 seats?
1: We're talking about picking up enough seats that we have the ability to remove the filibuster for this and right. yeah. And passing it in that fashion.
0: And, and maybe there's one or two, if, if, if Republican senators who might might come along with, with the heat that they're getting in there and they're want to bet on that. But but I suppose that's a, a possibility. A,
1: a few of them give lip service to being, you know, to supporting reproductive freedom. So we would we would love to see them actually um, put their vote behind that.
0: Lip service is, is the perfect word. And then they turn around and vote for for uh, people like Comey Barrett. Uh, Okay, so uh, I've kept kept you over time. I want to ask you one more political question, then ask you how people can get involved and and support your work. I've heard a lot of different political analysis of this topic, and the the Kansas thing is, is, as you say, maybe not surprising, but at least encouraging. Um, but I was talking to someone the other day who, um, who I feel like is really smart about the behavior of independents or and NP- no party preferences as we call them here in California, and he said something really interesting. And I'm just curious your take on this. He said, "What what NPPs or independents are really doing most of the time is they're trying to figure out which party's crazier at any given moment." And they're, they're just, they're not comfortable with extremes on either side of the political spectrum. They don't maybe articulate it this way, but that's really where they are. They sort of like, if, if you look at their behavior from election to election, it's like whoever seems the craziest, they tend, not, not everyone, but they tend to vote against that party. And his point was the, the real impact of Dobbs from a political perspective is just completely makes that point clear. It's just like, okay. The inmates are running the asylum on the right. They're in charge, and like no matter what you think, you might agree with them on. Like this is crazy, and, uh, he, and he and he is he's actually a pretty uh, modest guy when it when it comes to sort of imp- predicting political outcomes. But he thinks this is going to be an absolute earthquake um, because it just makes that point clear. I, I thought that was a an interesting analysis I hadn't heard before. And I just wanted to ask you your, your take on it as somebody who lives with us every day.
1: Oh, I think it's um, um, funny, but sure. I mean, you know, what we saw in, in Kansas was that approximately half of all votes against that anti-choice ballot measure came from unaffiliated, no party preference, independent, right? And Republican primary voters. So, and what we know uh, across the board is that there's not a single state where where abortion bans are popular um not a single state right and certainly what we have seen is that folks with no party preference I mean they are they help they are truly those that help us get to this eight and ten Americans that support the legal right to abortion um obviously large, Swaths of Republicans help us to get to that number, two, And that's not necessarily to say that eight in 10 people would choose abortion for themselves, but they do not believe. right? And this was this is fundamental to what people said in Texas. And you hear some of the folks who said, I'm a lifelong Republican and I voted against that ballot initiative. Right. Um, I'm a lifelong independent and I voted against that ballot initiative. And it's because they do not believe that the government should should be involved, that these are personal decisions that should be made by individuals with their faith, their doctor, their family, um, right? And that the government has no role to play in that. And so it's interesting, right? Because when we talk about, um, you know, a, the the point that you're making, I think, is is a, an important one These folks are so far out of alignment on this issue with public opinion. And we have seen and we hope to continue to see that there will be really severe repercussions and consequences to the Republican Party for these kinds of actions. And I'll make one final point, which is it is critically important that we remember not to view the abortion rights battle Uh, as if it's in a vacuum, because we talked about the Supreme Court decision, and they are really flinging the door wide open to look at our right to privacy across the board, right to gay marriage, right to interracial marriage, right to contraception, things that we have These are integrated into our society. These are fundamental rights that are integrated into our society and how we live. And it it seems unbelievable. And it's not unconnected. It's not disconnected from similar attempts to uh, disempower us uh, at the voting box to really strip voting rights. We need to see this sort of coordinated attack on our civil and human rights as that. Um, and I think that, that no-party preference voters do see that the that there's a connection there, and they don't want the government intervening in those things. They want these fundamental freedoms.
0: I'm glad you said that, because I, I meant to say um, towards the beginning of, of our talk that that was the other truly alarming thing that it didn't really come clear to me from the press accounts of the decision. When you read it, it's it, clearly no recognition for the right of privacy. But I'd even go a step further, and I think, again, the, the dissent articulated this well, is they were, what, what the majority was really prevailing on for the first time, I think was to say, it's a very extreme view of pure strict constructionism. If, if the right did not exist at the time the constitution was passed, then it does not exist now, unless you amend the constitution we're, just, we're like, literally gonna go back and be like, well, you know, what were Alexander Hamilton and John Adams thinking at the time? They, they prevailed on that premise I think if you if you read the decision, and yes, that would of course obliterate uh, gay rights, right to privacy, but a whole host of other things as well. I, I'd argue um, that are that are really fundamental, not just to civil rights, but to the economy and to our, our basic way of operating. And I'll say this about Clarence Thomas: um, he was the only honest one in what he wrote because he he specifically said that he said we should look at all the rest of this stuff too, and if if you get rid of Roe, then, then all this other stuff needs to fall. And, and you know the other, the other conservatives are maybe a little more political, politically astute than he is. So they seem to, like they didn't want to sign on to that. But clearly that's where they're headed. It's the only logical implication of this decision. And I, I would just flag that for anybody who might think this doesn't affect them somehow, or they don't have a daughter, or they're safe in California. There are things that you care about um, that are now in the bullseye of the Supreme Court. And I, I think we're, we're headed for a lot, uh, lot of fights on a whole host of issues that this just opens the Pandora's box on and that we thought were closed. Um, so thanks for raising that, I appreciate it. So uh, thank you for everything you're doing. If people wanna get involved, wanna help, how can they uh, find out more about your organization or contact um, all contact your team on all the great things you're working on?
1: Yeah. So we would love, I mean, become a NARAL member at a minimum. Um, NARAL ProChoice California. It's not hard to find us uh, by searching for us online, follow us on social media across our channels. We're at ProChoiceCA across all channels. Um, and of course, we are always looking for more volunteers. This is a critically important election. Uh, we will be doing a ton to turn people out around the ballot initiative, making sure that we specifically enshrine the right to abortion and contraception in our state constitution this year. Um, we would love we would love for you to sign up and get involved.
0: Well, Shannon, thanks so much for being on the show. Um, we'd love to have you back anytime there's issues you want to flag for the legislature or the public or anybody else. But thanks for everything you're doing. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks. Good to be here, Brian. We invite you to share ideas for guests, ask questions, and leave comments. You can find us at NeptuneOps.com. Follow us and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts as we continue to explore the insights and stories driving California politics. This is the Nation's State of Play podcast. I'm your host, Brian Miller, and thank you for listening. OLAS Media.